0: welcome to the lean solutions podcast where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement i am your host patrick adams hello and welcome to the lean solutions podcast my name is patrick adams and my special guest today is bruce hamilton bruce is the president of gbmp He's also a senior examiner for the Shingo Prize and a certified Shingo Institute Workshops Facilitator. Bruce is a past recipient of the Shingo Prize in both the business and academic categories and inductee into the Shingo Academy with five total awards in all. Uh, and in 2015, Bruce was inducted into the AME Manufacturing Hall of Fame. Uh, he's also, as most of you probably know, he's the director and the actor of the famous Toast Kaizen video which uh, Bruce and I talked about just a little bit earlier before I hit record was actually my introduction into uh, lean manufacturing so Bruce welcome to the show
1: Well, thanks Patrick happy to be with you today
0: Um, I am super honored to have you on the show Bruce as I as I mentioned uh, the Toast video was my first introduction to uh, the seven wastes and where i learned uh, that lean was going to be a passion of mine so i just appreciate all the work that you put into developing that video and and putting it out there uh, for the lean community and so many people i'm sure that are listening uh, have been impacted through uh, not only through the toast kaizen video but through all of the amazing work that you've done in the lean community so thank you for what you
1: do i enjoy it i enjoy what i do
0: yes uh, and I have I have several questions for you, uh, several burning questions, and I, I could probably talk to you all day. Uh, but obviously, we have a short amount of time, so I just have a few questions uh, that I want to hit on. And the first one I think is a, is a heavy question. Lean uh, Toyota production system has been out there for a long time. I mean, and and after 40 years of trying, why have some organizations uh, failed to? have significant gains, fail to sustain improvements uh, that could, be, could benefit from deploying lean into their organization. What, what would you say to that?
1: Yeah, well, you know, there, there isn't a single answer, uh, Patrick. Mm. I mean, in, in a very general sense, it's I think because largely management doesn't know what lean is. Mm. And we, we've, we've had a you know, tendency to apply it piecemeal as a, this tool or that tool. And the technical part of it is, you know, necessary but far from sufficient. You know, the slogan of my little organization, Everybody Every Day, is to connote, you know, this ideal condition where people are coming to work and they actually are solving problems. They understand they have problems and they're in an environment where they can solve them. And most organizations are not like that. You know, they don't come from that background. They have a few problem solvers and everybody else is supposed to do a good day's work. So. Mm-hmm the concept of getting everybody engaged uh, has just has a lot of obstacles you know even financial obstacles such, such as you know cost accounting sort of treats employees as a necessary evil you know sort of sure. a uh, what do we call it a, a, a an expense hmm. you know it's an expense an, a variable expense like we can take it or leave it uh, where, whereas in uh, you know in lean or toyota production system the employees are the most valuable resource so, there, there's, there's a lot of things that organizations have going against them in order to get that flywheel turning in the right direction. You know, also, a lot of organizations are just not, they haven't felt enough pain. Uh, organizations that, that tend to get off to a good start have a need. They've identified a specific need, a problem to solve. Uh, it's, and it's, you know, sometimes referred to as the burning platform. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't get you, that doesn't last forever, but it's a good way to kickstart and demonstrate how, you know, you can solve problems if you engage, you have a highly engaged workforce and you give them the right tools. There's a lot of, you know, Ellie Goldratt used to call these lucky companies where things are good enough, you know, maybe we're bumping along. Uh, We can uh, can make believe that things are okay for a while. We have different, we, we outsource to the lowest possible area and, we have these sort of tactical uh, uh, approaches to, uh, to staying in business. But things are just not bad enough. Mm. And for a lot of organizations, uh, they are lucky. It just doesn't matter what they do, they're still making money. And so an organization like that tries to, tries to make a shift into this kind of thinking, there's just an awful lot going against them.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And, and what would you say for an organization like that where what I talk about is creating a, a compelling story or looking for opportunities to, uh, to give your team incentive or, or you know, that, that drive to want to get better, to want to improve? Because I've worked in a few organizations that were just like that where, well, we make, we, we make enough money to not have to worry about that. Why, why should we be worried that we have two extra people standing here you know looking at parts and inspecting parts um and so what would you say to organizations like that 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 are in that place and and are saying we we don't need to improve we don't need to do anything different we're we got plenty of money we, why do we need to worry about that what what
1: would you say yeah well i mean it's 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 tougher actually um Because you you would like to have some unifying concept for both management and employees. And generally, if you're making a lot of money, the management's kind of lazy about that, too. Mm. They're getting their bonuses. Things look okay. Why rock the boat? So that's challenging. For employees, you know, even, even an organization that's making a lot of money, people come to work and have lots of problems. And it's surprising the number of people who say they hate their jobs. But they're going to work. And they're, they're doing it because they, they've got the expenses, personal expenses, mortgages and car loans and college loans and all those sorts of things. Uh, and for that group, I think if you have some enlightened management, you can focus on those problems. Because even in an organization that, that is making money, uh, people don't like living in pain. They don't like problems. You know, like in, in healthcare, for example, uh, it's uh, clearly that uh, i think last time i checked 30% of hospitals were underwater so they definitely need to be doing some things to make money as well but that's not their primary goal they're there to make people well uh, and and uh, and of course th- that's one thing i'm sure all healthcare providers can agree on but if you talk to the folks who are on the front line and i'm not just talking for the past 18 months which has just been hell but even before that mm-hmm. they're highly stressed just lots of problems, systems that are broken, trying to get things done, trying to make the patient well in spite of the fact that things don't work, high level of frustration for people who want to do the right thing. And so the burning platform there is, you know, really focused on the employees, the health care providers. What can we do to make life better for them? They're trying to do their best to care for, you know, for, uh, for patients. And the burning platform there may not be, you know, be profit. Hospitals hate to talk about profits; they're not there for that. But it's also true for very successful companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can be more successful, of course. But uh, but I think just focusing on retention, uh, retaining your employees. If you if you if you have an environment where people feel uh, empowered to address problems that they have, you're much more likely to to keep them there.
0: Sure. Sure. And employee retention it has been a struggle for many companies over this last year uh since the the covid pandemic started any any recommendations for companies right now that are that are struggling with employee retention
1: so it's a tough it, it depends on on the industry you know mm-hmm. some industries i think uh like food service right now has kind of got a got a black eye Our food service employees have gone elsewhere i can't think of a single company that i work with who isn't struggling to make do with, uh, with fewer resources. Now, of course, this is the idea of, uh, of lean or TPS. If you really subscribe to the idea that 98% or something like that of the elapsed time uh, between paying and getting paid to, to produce a good or a service, there's a whole lot of opportunity in that timeline to make people's work more productive. Yes. And uh, you know, make their job easier by taking away the problems. Uh, so rather than, you know, dealing with uh, this sh- this lab- labor shortage in terms of trying to sh- uh, look for people, let's develop the resources that we have. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, as I understand it, labor shortage is not a short term problem. You know, we're, we're experiencing it now with with COVID. Mm-hmm. But if you look out over the next fifty years, we're not going to have people for a lot of these jobs. Mm-hmm. Very true. So we should be as productive as possible.
0: Yeah, very true. Uh, And that actually brings me to my next question because the future, as as we look to the future, uh, technology is changing things, right? Uh, COVID changed a lot of things for a lot of companies, Uh, and I think you know it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few years. But I think all the listeners can agree that technology is definitely. Changing, uh, especially in the manufacturing arena, you think about Tesla and the approach that they're taking and different things. But I'm curious to hear from you if you think that Industry 4.0 is going to change the focus of Lean, or you know, any anything that's out there that's progressing, progressive uh, thinking in in businesses. Will it change the focus of Lean?
1: Yeah. So you know, it's interesting, and it it, it the. Uh so there's no question that Internet of Things is changing industry, and actually not just in manufacturing. We work with insurance companies where and sure. healthcare organizations where uh, persons are being replaced uh, by robots, and sometimes you know uh, purposefully and sometimes without a whole lot of sense. The Industry 4.0 and IoT are just more buzzwords that have come along to describe a process which has been ongoing for the last century. You know, it's not that new, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm more concerned that uh, as we apply these additional technologies, and we should, and they're, they're really amazing, that the lean thinking should be a part of them, because mm-hmm. it's entirely possible. I mean, you go back to, you know, General Motors trying to automate their workforce out of existence back in the 80s, this is, this we could be going through the same thing, so excuse me if I sound a little cynical, but we don't have a good history with applying technology. So, and organizations that apply it thoughtfully, I think will get a huge benefit. And as I said, I think there are are places where um, human effort couldn't be replaced uh, repetitive so that humans can do thinking work. And I know there's even, you know, intelligent robots, and and certainly that will be a part of it as well. Hard to say where that's going to go in the long term, you know, that's all science fiction now. Maybe someday we'll just have super creative robots we won't be needed at all that's still kind of science fiction Yeah. and uh, but uh, yeah so this is it's an extension of a trend towards automation and I think there are places where it's very purposeful Yeah.
0: absolutely and I've been involved with a with a few companies that uh, that are using automation in the right way but I've also been involved at a few companies where I've seen you know well let's just let's try to deploy automation because it's the cool thing to do and because everybody's doing it. Have you had any experiences with that where companies are just trying to push automation because, well, that's the future and we just need to do it? You know, And, and what I've experienced is uh, they're introducing much more waste into the process than, than they would have if they would have just thought about, okay, what is the problem we're trying to solve here and what's the right solution? Maybe it's not a, an automation solution. Uh, what's What's been your experience there?
1: Yeah, so it's a, it's a mixed bag. Unfortunately, I think there are more companies who are, for your as you say, just doing it because it's the thing to do. That's yeah. why a lot of companies get involved with lean. They've sure. figured sure. out why they're doing it, uh, and uh, but it's so easy to misapply. Uh, Shigio Shingo used to refer to uh, what he called superficial improvement, automating a waste. So, uh, in the not too distant past, things like uh, AGVs and high-base st- high storage systems were automating waste of transportation and storage. And Shingo was quick to point out like 60 years ago that the only way to reduce the waste of transport is layout. Did you? And, and yet I see companies, I'm working with companies who are proudly showing how you know they've got these robots They're able to push buttons in elevators and go up and down floors to go to get the stock, which it should have been in a different location in the first place. Right. So they're doing material handling, and rather than than having a person push the cart, they have a robot push the cart, and they're pretty proud of that. But that's a superficial improvement, and and, and I might add, a very costly one. So, yeah, but it's, you know, companies are experimenting. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I think we have to be careful because the basic idea, you know, Rosie the Robot is an investment. Mm -hmm. But Rosie the Riveter is an expense. Mm. And when you look at this on the books, and if you don't get to the floor too often, which incidentally was what that toast video video was all about, like why don't you go take a look, Right. uh, then you're bound to make these bad decisions that are based upon bad economics and just bad ideas. So you can take this wonderful technology and really make a mess of it. Mm -hmm. And I I worry about that. Absolutely.
0: No, I see the same thing, and that that does worry me too. But obviously, there there's a lot of great technology out there, a lot of great automation. When you're doing it for the right reasons, and like you said, it's if it's not a superficial improvement, but they're actually removing you know the waste of motion or removing mm-hmm. uh, weighting you know by introducing automation, and and there's a good you know ROI there. Then it obviously it, then it makes sense, and I think we'll see more of that as as we move into the future. But again. Uh, as you said, it, it should not change the focus of lean. Um, lean should be included in that, uh, and, and so I would agree with you 100% there. Just to kind of shift gears here a little bit, uh, in the beginning of, of the uh, interview today, I talked about the Toast video being uh, such a huge influence in my personal journey uh, into lean, and, and uh, I have many other great influences on my life uh, in my, and my, my lean history, Uh, Including the toast video and and obviously you, Bruce. Uh, But I'm curious, from your standpoint, who you know who's been the greatest influence, or what's been the greatest influence on your personal lean journey?
1: So, so um, boy, I mean, there's been a lot of influences. Some of them are big names, and some of them are just folks that I worked with. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of folks on the front line. uh, And it's some of it's the technical knowledge. Some of it's just the spirit of improvement and the creativity. You know. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of if you look at sort of conceptually, Shigio Shingo was a big influence for me, Um, more or less just, you know, my good luck that his publisher was located in the town next to where my company was. So at a time when I had a need, there were Shingo's books. And at the time, you know, going back into 1985 and 86, there wasn't a whole heck of a lot. Uh, written about TPS. Mm. You know, there were a few American reporters. As a matter of fact, I found out about Shingo's books in a little footnote that Robert Hall had in his book Zero Inventories. And that's a wonderful book, but it's kind of a book by a reporter who took a look from the outside in and said, oh yeah, there's Shigeo, Shigeo Shingo talking about Seven Wastes, and that's what got me started there. He's a big influence. I think a lot of his thinking is still yet to be discovered. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, "Oh, yeah, he's the guy who created quick changeover or pokey but he did a whole heck of a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I think we're just discovering that a lot of what Shingo had to do had to. His whole business was, you know, brutal, incessant attack on the status quo. Like, no matter where you are, you can always be better. And other people echoed that as well, but Shingo really articulated it in a way that that I think resonated at least with the folks that I worked with when I was in industry. Sure. And then the second influence is uh, Hajima Oba, who was mm-hmm. uh, a teacher to me when um, we were a project company for Toyota Production System Support TSSC. I'm trying to change their ad uh, change the acronym. The acronym is ah. the same, but. Uh, <laughs> Support Center. Yeah, it used to be Toyota Productions. It's Toyota Production System Support Center. Yeah, and Oba was a contemporary of uh, Mr. Ono. Mm -hmm. And he was the one who kind of was charged with trying to help American companies understand what TPS was. And, you know, it was so different. He was coming from a culture, speaking of culture, which was very different than u.s Mm -hmm. he had to come into this country which was just strange in terms of the way we do things and bring these ideas to us and uh and he did it in a remarkable way he was just an amazing guy he just it's just a year since he passed
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh very sad went was too went too soon because he was really active up until the end uh and he had definitely had a lot of impact on Definitely changed the trajectory of my journey. Mm.
0: Uh, no, it's, that's great. And I, I echo what, you're, what you said about it going too early. Definitely so much opportunity and so many other people that, that he was able to influence. Uh, you also mentioned, Bruce, that you had maybe some, some maybe not so big names that have influenced your, mm-hmm. uh, lean, your personal lean journey. I, I'd be curious to hear uh, who they were or if you maybe just mentioned one or two of them.
1: Sure so sure. let me just say one more thing about Hajime Oba he sure. was the co- he was the guy who caused the toast Kaizen video Oh really <laughs> I'd yeah. be interested to hear about that because because <laughs> Mr. Oba visited our plant one day, and uh, t- he said, Bruce, you you must do Kaizen, too. And I said, yeah, well, I'm, I'm helping everybody all the time. I'm helping them with their Kaizen. He said, no, no, you personally must do Kaizen. Hmm. So I spent about six weeks working on different projects. I selected some. I posted what I was doing. I got some help from folks on the floor. They kind of laughed with me as I was learning, and six weeks later, Oba comes back and he looks at what I've done. He said, yeah, pretty good job. Good for you. You know, what did did you learn? It was sort of like, yeah, well, yeah, I've learned it's not so easy to change yourself that uh, some of these things, uh, it helps to have people working with you. So it it was a lesson for me. Then he says, okay, now all of your management team must do Kaizen. That's what you need to do. And at the time, I was a general manager. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, not everybody is... Quite as on board as I am, I got folks in other functions who are not going to do this. And if I can't find some way of getting them involved, we may not see Oba again because mm. commitment was a really big word for this guy, right? It, and it is a big word. Yes, impassion uh, commitment. If you don't have that, you're not going to get much done. Uh, so, kind of in a fit of frustration, one night I woke up and said, "You know, we're going to, we're going to, not going to talk about the factory or the office." We're just going to go to and directly observe a process that we're all familiar with, and that was toast. And that's basically where the video came from. In 1998, I made the first one. Uh, that's not the one that people see, yeah. but it was the one that I took to with the meet with my managers, and we all watched toast. We all watched the toasting process, something we walk by every day and never really look at, and made our observations. You know, some one person uh, did a, a, a rather decent work combination sheet and another did some 5 whys and they tried to apply the tools and i got about a 50% hit rate i'd say in terms okay. of yeah i guess i see what this is all about and that was acceptable to mr oba so even though i know a lot of a lot of persons in different industries healthcare uses the toast video all over the place you'd say I wonder what they're doing with it but uh, you know, people say, oh yeah, it's good for teaching the front line, but it was originally for vice presidents. Mm-hmm. The idea was, you know, direct observation is important, and improvement is not about is not about the work as much as it is about the, all the things that get in the way of the work. Yes. And that's that was kind of the message for them, and then that's carried forward from there. So anyway, uh, people who are maybe not world famous, um, sure, there's some I think a, a person that I've worked with with uh, for many years. She, she's just retired, somebody who started in sales and then came into operations, and uh, very passionate, very people oriented person by the name of Pat Wordwell, worked with, with GBMP for many years. Now she's living the good life, but I think she was living the good life with us as well. Others that come to mind right off the bat, uh, a gentleman by the name of Louis Cattado was you know, somebody who from uh, P- Portugal who worked on the production floor, who just had an incredible eye for improvement. Uh, he saw things instantly. He saw things that I didn't see. He was the person who could uh, create a device that was both Quick Change and Pokey oak and do it for $100 mm. and do it quickly. Bob Camo is another person. Mm. These are names that would not even be known to people, but they're people who just impressed me mightily. Dan mm-hmm. Fleming, a guy that I work with. There are people who are, critique what I do. You know, I think it's it, my good fortune that I've been around people who, you know, if they uh, didn't like what I was doing, would let me know. You know, my wife worked as a, as a test technician when I met her. and The first thing I remember her saying to me was, you know, Bruce, managers are people who Sound like they know what they're talking about, even when they don't. <laughs> and now we're married. Smart woman. Uh, so these are great influences. Yes, indeed, very insightful, and not afraid to speak her mind. And and you know that's, a, that's that is a, a big challenge. Sure. People, uh, you know the the like the uh, the topic of uh, psychological safety or emotional safety, you know, is huge and always has been. That uh, there, you know, so many organizations that like to brag about their quality systems, but see if you can find somebody who would speak up to report a problem.
0: Mm.
1: You know, I'm just not going there. I'm not going to bring it up because then I become the problem. So, they, you right. know, you've got, got a quality system, but you don't have quality culture. People just are afraid to speak, so if you're lucky enough to find those angry people who still have enough chutzpah to tell you that, that you're full of it, then you're off to, you're, you're heading in the right direction. And there are many more people, I've mentioned a few, yeah, but I worked with a bunch of those folks, and uh, it was, you know, that was very rewarding to me, and still is. I meet those people along the way, they're just amazing, yeah. and uh, that's probably the fun part for me, because the reality is, you know kind of going back to your first question you know a lot of organizations get something they get something done but i look at them and i'm very disappointed because i'm saying they're just getting started but they're happy with where they are complacency is a big enemy
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, people lose the will to keep trying and that was shingo's message is you just got to keep going you, you you can't reach some plateau and say yeah this just feels pretty good You hear things like, well, you should have seen us three years ago. And I said, yeah, I I don't really care how you were three years ago. That's right. It's like, what are you doing now? And uh, so that's frustrating to me. Uh, You have to enjoy the process because the result is not always satisfactory. So we work with a number of organizations, and we we have a good fortune of having a nice friendship with, with TSSC so that if we get to a company where we really see that, as Mr. Oba called it, a commitment, where mm-hmm. senior leadership is really has decided, yeah, we're going to do this, you know, when we sort of do a handoff and say, here, well, please take this off our hands, you can do, you can help them better, and there's a handful of those, and then maybe 20 to 30 percent more who get a pretty nice gain, and then it starts a sliding scale, you know, down to the organizations that just never got started. Right. No, and, and I will say that you know you should never give up hope because I worked with companies who maybe tried three times, and third time was the charm. Mm. It, it it's usually because somebody in management, however, has has shown that commitment. Somebody new comes in. You take a look at companies that are successful, almost all the time. I'm going to say all the time. It's because there was a visionary leader who had enough savvy to change the organization. Right. Right.
0: Would you say uh so we you talked about a lot of things uh but just based on your last comment right there would you say that if if a company doesn't have that visionary leader that's driving the change you know from the top what would you suggest to people that are listening that don't that are, are in a company that maybe doesn't have that one leader there uh, yeah. that's driving it can they still can they still impress change into their organization from where they're at if that is if if there isn't a leader like that
1: yeah. so, so it's very rare that that leader would be there on day one mm-hmm. that would be almost an accident maybe they'll change over time um, you know the, the the story out of there at Fremont where they basically brought in leadership there's an the example of how leadership change and all of a sudden things happen remarkably fast right okay um, but failing that uh, generally uh, and I'm sure you see this too, uh, the leadership that you would like is is sort of maybe near to the top, uh, but not at the top. Mm-hmm. And so the, they're faced with the task of managing up. Sure. Of uh, of You know, I worked with a guy on the Shingo Institute for many years, a guy who another influence on me, and I probably, if I were to think about this this question of influence, there's so many people, but this guy his name is Gifford Brown, he was the uh, site leader for the, the world's largest engine plant, was a Ford engine plant number two. And and Gifford was trying to bring tps to, to Ford. He brought Shingo in to, to, to help with changeovers in his plant, and did a number of other things. And he referred to it as the, I'm trying to, was the Cleveland, the Cleveland uh, engine production system. Okay. Okay, for a while. I may be misspeaking here, but it was something like that. And he he talked about uh, you know how hard he tried and uh, to to bring this to the rest of the organization. And one day I was talking with him, and he referred to the system as the powertrain production system, Ford powertrain Pre- production system. And I said, oh, I said, what happened? He says, oh, well, it's his horse now. He's mm. referring to his boss. Mm. That uh, that this had now it had grown it had expanded so they had some learning and it had grown into something larger, not that you know any of these things have are perpetual motion machines, but that was Gifford's aim. Uh, I said, "Oh, you must feel kind of bad to you." He says, "No, it feels great." Hmm. He says, "This is exactly what we need to do if we want to, we want to bring this uh, this change. Uh, we have to keep remember that the." The, the, the leadership is just like anybody else. They have beliefs, uh, and they need. We need to kind of convince them. We need to show them. Uh, you can't just leave them to themselves and assume that they'll figure this out. So I work very hard at that. And when we have success, that's that's cause for celebration. Absolutely.
0: Oh, that's great. And and you mentioned you mentioned uh, again about the people that you surrounded yourself with uh, over the. The, the past years and the influence that they had on you and, and the many different names. Um, I think that's, there's a lesson to, to be heard there too, you know, for our listeners is to think about who, who are you surrounding yourself with? And, you know, from a personal development perspective, are you actively seeking out those influencers that can help influence your life? Because sometimes, sometimes they're not going to come to you and you have to go to them and, and, you know, really uh, be intentional about seeking out those people that can have an impact on your life, uh, and and so I appreciate that you mentioned a few of those names. And again, I just challenge the listeners to think about who are those people, and and how how could you uh, be intentional about reaching out to them and, and looking for some some development opportunities there. Bruce, from a development perspective, for you personally, uh, any recommendations to the listeners for uh, personal development in the you know from a lean perspective, uh, books, podcasts. Uh, Videos, obviously the toast video, I would absolutely suggest to everyone. But anything else that you would say would be a a good place for people to start, especially maybe people that are new uh, to the lean world and TPS?
1: Yeah, so I mean, um, depending upon, I mean, there's there's so many books today on, on lean, and they're good books, to be sure. But I'm a strong believer in some of the classics. Like if you haven't read Taiichi Ono's Toyota Production System, you're kind of missing the point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because the why behind all of this system, the philosophy behind it, is incredibly important. Absolutely. We want to understand how, how, how we keep this going uh, and how we get there. Because a, organis- you know, a lot of books are focusing on what, what does good look like, but they don't tell you how to get from where you are to uh, To something that's better. Mm. So Daichi Ono, I love Shingo's books. Tomo Sumiyama, uh, Sugiyama's book, uh, the Improvement book. These are old books. There's, uh, there, you know, there's hundreds of books, Patrick. Yeah. Hard to say. Those are gold. You no, know, old books. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Uh, no gold. All, all by yeah. Japanese guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, Ryuji Fukuda's uh, Managerial Engineering was the first book that Norman. Bodic published, and it's one of the most valuable, I'm not even sure if it's still in print. Mm. But I always recommend it to people because it was talking about how do managers have to change in order to make this work, and that's one of the challenges is we think of this as something that's going to work on itself without managers having a, a, a function, a responsibility. So that's very important. You know, non, non-lean kind of books, so to speak. There's a wonderful book called Leadership on the Line. Mm which has to do with uh, basically how you create, you know, what they like to refer to as adaptive change, or maybe in lean world we call it transformational change. Sure. Um, and, and, and manage to keep your job. Hmm. You know, because, because uh, th- these are, it's risky territory. Where you, the, the reality is uh, that when you start getting into the reasons why an organization is not able to bring about uh, this cultural change, it involves a whole lot of beliefs that people have, deep-seated beliefs. And uh, these beliefs are not so easily changed. And, you know, like uh, in, in the Leadership on the Line, the authors talk about standing on the balcony and looking out on everybody below and saying, okay, what's this look like? What's this system? look like how can i bring about a change in this organization earlier i was talking about people who have the savvy to do this so it's one thing to have this vision but it's yet another to be able to look at those pieces and say how can i make this organization move how do I, you know because it's not strictly formulaic there's no history book you can go to no subject matter experts who can tell you how to do it you plot this out depending upon the situations at hand the people who are there, the beliefs they have, and how you're going to influence those people. Mm. So it's a it's a really interesting challenge. Even though, you know, without the technical part, that would all be moot, it wouldn't really matter, because there actually is a technical part. Like Toyota refers to it on the one hand as TPS technical, which are those tools that we always hear about, and TPS managerial. Like, how do you create an environment where you actually would get to benefit from those tools.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which, and uh, and then at the base of this kind of tri- triangle is the philosophy which comes out of Ono's book about how people being the most important resource and human development and, and those sorts of things. Uh, and in, So, so there, it really is like three legs on a stool. They all have to be there. Uh, but a lot of organizations strictly focus on the TPS technical and they just sample tools and they get some benefit, and it could be short term, it could be they could sustain it for a while. They may be happy with it, but in kind of going back to your first question, um, very few organizations really get to that point where every current, every target condition is now their current condition and they're just gonna keep on soaring. Right, right.
0: It takes takes quite a bit to, to, uh, to get there for sure. Uh, suggestions for New people that are just entering the market, you know, maybe a, a listener who is, um, you know, just just new to a, a hospital or an engineer, young engineer, just just getting out of college, uh, you know, just landed their first job at a manufacturing plant, a team leader that, a worker who was just promoted into a team leader role. Anyone that's listening out there, that's kind of new in in the market, any suggestions to them for? Um, you know, how they might start their, their lean journey or even just personal development, uh, any, anything at all for them?
1: So, so, I mean, it's not all, the world's not all about lean. Um, I uh, had a brother who was a professional musician, and mm-hmm. he, he just didn't, he and I could talk about, uh, you know, the alignment because of music and musicians and so forth, but that wasn't his world, okay? So, do what you love do what you love. Yes. If you can figure out what that is, and it, that's hard to know, and you, it may not be the first thing you do. It probably isn't. Certainly wasn't the first thing I did, um, although I can't think of any job I ever hated, but, uh, hmm. um, you know, so I think you need to be patient. I, I, I have uh, uh, two uh, 23-year-olds right now are just enter- entering into the world,
0: hmm.
1: and they're impatient. You know, they, they would like to sort of I remember that. It's a long time ago, but I I remember (laughs) how I felt at the time. And uh, so, so, you know, uh, in the, in the soccer, we say the game is the best teacher. Mm. That you just get out there and start playing. That's right. Um, It's, uh, you know, there's certainly reading. I, 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 I think there's a, a lot of good reading that can be done. You can learn a lot from other people's mistakes. If that's your intention. Okay. And, uh, uh, but well, I would say, I would encourage persons who, uh, you know, in their 20-something, uh, that maybe they ought to get out and experience the world in which you're going to work. Maybe it's healthcare, maybe it's education, maybe it's government, and see what the current condition is, and try to understand uh, what the, you know, what that looks like. And as they're thinking about changing it, um, you know, certainly lean concepts are very applicable. So all the books we've talked about, they could be valuable. Um, you know, you have to find yourself in an organization where there's that context, because there's a lot of, every day I visit, I go into an industrial park and I know that seven out of 10 companies have no clue what mm-hmm. this is, none. So it's new, it would be new to them. Um, you know, I, I have a personal preference. Uh, I think smaller organizations have uh, a better shot At this type of excellence, only because of the inertial problems of very large companies. But Lord, you know, it's—I think it really—it's hard for me to give specific advice to to young people, other than to say, uh, find the thing that you love, and uh, and then pursue that. And if the organization that you're in is not making you happy, it doesn't mean that the topic is that you're. You've chosen the wrong topic, you may have just chosen the wrong company. Then you sure, sure. Look again. Sure. You
0: know. No, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you. And uh, speaking of young people, I think about back when I was young, one of my most favorite movies growing up was Back to the Future. And uh, th- and that is actually the theme of the Northeast Lean Conference that's coming up here uh, beginning of October, getting back to the future. Uh, And so I wanted to to just throw a plug out there for the conference because I I believe there's still time to register,
1: right? Oh, certainly. In fact, generally with the conferences, the registrations happen about three to four weeks in advance of the conference, right after summer's over. This is a very unusual year, Patrick. But look, I I just would like to impress upon people that... uh, at least in the state of Massachusetts, 90% of all eligible people eligible to receive a vaccine have received it. Mm. So we are going to run a safe conference, yes. and uh, and people are dying to get out. Yes, you know, we, we uh, that's probably probably a bad choice of words there. But, <laughs> I knew what uh, you meant, Bruce. People do want to get out. <laughs> yes, and, and so we've had had some good early registrations, but we're definitely looking looking for more. It's a, it's a great uh, program with, uh, with five wonderful keynotes and 48 breakouts. We've been working hard to put it together. You know, it's in Springfield, Massachusetts on October 6th and 7th. So anybody uh, would like to register, they can, they can go to our website and, and find the registration there. And we'll, we'll, we'll drop
0: you. the website uh, into the show notes for anyone that in- is interested in, uh, in registering. What, what is the website, Bruce?
1: Well, actually, for the conference, it's uh, easy to remember. It's northeastleanconference.org. dot
0: Northeast org. Conference. and is there a is there a virtual version for people that can't make it in person, or is it an only an in-person yep. in person conference?
1: In fact, this year uh, and probably going forward, uh, we've we've always videoed uh, a lot of the sessions, but this year we will live stream all of the sessions. So for organizations whose uh, you know corporate policy is not letting them out yet, there's an opportunity to participate. Virtually, and of course, all that material for registr- uh, registrants will then be online indefinitely, uh, so that if they miss a session, then go to another. So, yeah, if you if you you just can't make it in person, and I hope you can, but if you can't make it in person, you can make, you can uh, join us online and attend all the sessions there.
0: Perfect. And for those that are listening that uh, might be interested in learning more about GBMP and some of the, the coaching and consulting training uh, opportunities that you have there uh is there a website that they can go to 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 learn more about what you guys do
1: yeah gbmp.org perfect we'll get you there and we'll
0: throw that in the show notes as well so if anyone is interested in learning more about uh what bruce is doing with his team at gbmp you can find the the link in the show notes as well as registration for the northeast lean conference getting back to the future Uh, Bruce, it's been great to have you on the show as a guest. I really appreciate your time and uh, the opportunity to talk with you. I just so much appreciate the value that you uh, brought to the listeners today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Patrick. It's been good talking with you.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.